I was non-responsive for a half an hour, completely out. And then the, my first memory that I had was the paramedic. I didn't realize I had been unconscious and non-responsive all this time. And I wake up and all the, the whole golf tournament is standing around me. And I just remember I'm on the ground and I'm looking around like, oh my gosh. Welcome to the Tip the Scales podcast, where we discuss running and growing your law firm. I'm your host, Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of LawRank. This week, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Sean Claggett. Um, he was kind enough to let me record at his house. Sean and I met a few months ago, and his story is so fascinating that I was like, can we please just stop talking and can we do this? on a podcast and thankfully he he agreed. We talked about so many things, but Sean had a near death experience and it really helped him shift his perspective on life and law. We also talked about burnout, which I think we all go through this. We talked about trusting your skills and when you're first starting out, you may feel like you got lucky on a case or that you're a one hit wonder and not letting that imposter syndrome ruin your confidence. And then we talked about, so Sean has a really interesting way that he connects to the jury and just finding that creative way to foster that connection. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Today I'm live with Sean Claggett. Thank you so much for taking the time, letting me do this at your house. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming to my house. It's much appreciated that we could do it here. Of course. All right, so why don't we start with just a little bit of history about you and the firm, and then I want to hear the Spider-Man story. <laughs> that, that, if that ends up being a nickname, it'll be terrible. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. All right, so I started my firm back in 2005 with one employee and one client and didn't really start doing personal injury until 2011, around there, and then didn't really start doing trials until about 2015. Okay. And then over the last eight or nine years, I've been pretty consistent doing trials. And now the firm has got around 70 employees and wow. like 26 or 27 lawyers. Congrats. Yeah, it's grown quite a bit. Everyone's dream? Some people's dreams. Some people's dreams. Everybody has different dreams. Yes. I would argue a lot of lawyers' dreams. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it's... Uh, I work at a really cool firm with a lot of cool people, which is makes me happy. That's amazing. Yeah. And you've had some big verdicts, right? I have. I've had some. Uh, we've had a good run here for the last six or seven years where we've hit a bunch of big verdicts. So, yeah, we've we've done, I think we've got five now over 10 million. That's amazing. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. So tell us the spider story. So the spider story. So, um in 2015, prior to me getting any big verdicts, uh, I was I had been working hard to become a better trial lawyer, and but I had not tried any significant cases at that point in the personal injury arena. I had done some criminal cases and civil cases, but not personal injury. And so, uh, this story takes us to Lake Tahoe, and it was an annual golf tournament that I played in for many years, and it was a Significant tournament, you know, from a financial standpoint, but more significant in the bragging rights standpoint with all my friends. 
And so we're in Lake Tahoe. We're in day two of the golf tournament. And I line up to putt the ball. And unbeknownst to me, I'm apparently bit by like a black widow. And the next thing I know, I wake up a half an hour later and I had suffered a massive grand mal seizure. That's crazy. And so that must have been so scary. It, it was not scary for me because I didn't know it happened. It was really scary for the people around me. Oh, my God. I was non-responsive for a half an hour, completely out. And then the, my first memory that I had was the paramedic. I didn't realize I had been unconscious and non-responsive all this time. And I wake up and all the, the whole golf tournament is standing around me. And I just remember I'm on the ground and I'm looking around like, oh my gosh, did I drink too much? Did I pass <laughs> out? And uh, my buddy Rick Corelli, who's the brother of Josh Corelli, who's a great uh, transactional attorney up in Reno, uh, was sitting down. I remember him laughing and I'm like, I'm going to go finish the round. And everybody's like, oh, and the paramedic was like, look, if you can answer three questions, I'll let you finish your round. I'm like, well, that'll be easy. I'm processing. I understand what he's saying. Okay. So this is where the scary part comes in. What year is it? I didn't know that it was a number. That's crazy. There was no, nothing in my brain. My brain wasn't working. I had no recall at all. I couldn't remember any, I couldn't, it was so scary. It scared me so bad because I'm I, I'm like, yeah, let's go. And my buddy, my best friend, Lucas was with me. He was my partner in the tournament. He goes with me to the hospital. Uh, and I'm like, what happened? And he starts filling me in that, you know, I just had this big seizure and, and you had never had a seizure before. Uh, or after. So one and done. I mean, you know, it was it was an expensive seizure because back in 2015, I had just bought this really cool Tesla. And nobody had Teslas back then. And I had had it for a week and I lost my license because of the seizure. They take your license away from you for a while. And That makes sense. That's yeah. crazy though. Yeah. And so my wife started driving my Tesla. <laughs> And she fell in love, and she herself went and bought an SUV Tesla. So Do you was, still have Teslas? We have them both in the garage, yeah. We have two Teslas, too. Yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, that that's the uh, – and, and ironically, it was after that moment. You, you do a lot of self-reflecting, right, when you have that um, near-death experience. There's, you know, you're going to all these doctors. You don't you, – it was unclear to me whether I was going to get my memory back. How long did that last, the lack of memory? It came back relatively quickly, within a day or two. But what didn't come back was I was exhausted, and I was sleeping the better part of 16, 17 hours a day for about a month because my brain was recovering, and it was using so much energy. I was just exhausted. And what caused the seizure? They don't know. I mean, they, they, maybe it was a spider bite. Maybe it was a combination of the spider bite. I was drinking monster energy drinks back then. Um, maybe it was a combination of being a little dehydrated. You know, it was kind of just one of, they don't know. 
And they said, you know, believe it or not, it's like 10% of the population will have a seizure in their lifetime. Really? So one in 10. I was at um, a concert this weekend or this like two weeks ago and someone had a seizure during the concert. Mm -hmm. It's actually a lot more common than I ever realized. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that was, uh, it was after that though, that I finally, I wasn't, a, I think what really happened is I, at that moment, I'm like, well, I've already experienced what, you know, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. And I kind of died, you know, in that moment, that was it. And I you mean, didn't see a light or anything like that? Uh, no, no. That, that no, you remember? No. You don't it, remember anything. You were just like asleep, basically. I remember putting the ball. And I remember waking up and that time in between, there was nothing. That's crazy. That's so scary. Lights out. Yeah. And then to not know, is it going to happen again? Maybe I didn't get the light because I wasn't as close to death as I thought. <laughs> Maybe. You, you know? It felt pretty close though. Yeah. So, uh, but it was after that that I decided that I'm just going to go for it. You know, I'm just going to go do these trials. I've, I've been working so hard for, you know, five years on the craft and going to all these courses and practicing and doing focus groups i'm like i'm just going for it like something like changed you just felt like fuck it well yeah that and i i, I honestly believe that my recall of information became better after the seizure so the spider did have a spider man <laughs> type. It, I, it's I, I do think it improved my ability to recall information quite a bit and that's so, crazy though it's like how they say the universe is always working for you yeah, it it was it was a bizarre time, but the the, the fear was gone of lo like I was never really worried about losing a trial because I did criminal defense and you lose doing criminal defense. But I was worried about losing personal injury cases because they were so damn expensive. Mm. You know, it's a different criminal case. You're you're you you've been paid. Yeah. You know, you're getting paid up front, so you're not out of pocket. Personal right. injury is the other way around. But I just said, you know, what the hell. Just go for it. And that was the first case that really kind of put me on the map was the Lowe's case, which was a slip and fall case where my client slipped and fell and knocked down a yellow cone. And the jury returned a verdict of $16.4 million on that. And wow. What was the initial offer? No, nothing. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, during trial, the, the offers increased. Uh, to the point that they had offered uh, at one point a high low of a million on the bottom and twenty five million on the top, and we ended up uh, wanting two million on the bottom and twenty five million on top, and they countered that with four hundred thousand on the bottom, twenty five million on the top, and so we said no to everything and just took the verdict, wow. which was uh, it, it was funny because when I got that verdict, I thought that was going to make me. There, it was gonna make me right. That that verdict was gonna make me. That was the worst verdict I've ever got, as far as the way it made me feel, because I felt Why? like a, I felt like a fraud. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, oh yeah, because people were saying I heard people talking. Oh, he got lucky. He got you know hit lightning in a bottle, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh no, am I? You know, a a am I the one hit wonder? I mean. I love flagpole Sitta, but I don't want to be Harvey Dangerous in, right. the, in the legal world. So I'm, now I'm starting to like, oh my gosh, I've got got to get another verdict. And and then I, fortunately, I, I had the the luck of defense attorneys also believing that I was an imposter, 
and then we peeled off just one big verdict after another and it hasn't really stopped and so i think i'm finally at the point now where i'm not i think for a long time i was trying to prove to myself and maybe being brutally honest proving to other people that i was a good trial lawyer and i'm finally really comfortable with where i'm at like i don't feel like that's necessary anymore there's not I used to brag a lot. I was part of the imposter syndrome is that you wanted to flex where you could. And I think I, I see a lot of younger attorneys do that and some older attorneys. Some older, yeah, that's what I was going to um, say. And I think I'm just finally at a point where I'm happy enough with myself that I I just, I don't and I don't talk about the, you know, I don't go out of my way to talk about the results. And did this happen just because you've gotten so many great verdicts or did you have to do some sort of like self-work to to feel this way? I think there's probably a com- – there's definitely a combination because I've definitely done the self-work. I've gone and done therapy and other yeah. things to talk to other people about this. So um, it's a little bit of both. Um, I think there also comes a realization at some point that your desire to be uh, in the courtroom maybe is not as important as it used to be. Uh, I've spent over a year, it's literally over 365 days of my life in trial, which is weird. Yeah, it's it's weird to think that. Um, And this year, you know, in in the fall, I'll spend another... 60 days in trial between three trials. Um, but when you, you know, I, I don't, it's not the place that where I feel like I have to be. Like there's times where I felt like I need to go to trial. I, I have to go to a trial. That was really part of where I was at in my life at one point. Where well, I, your identity becomes attached to that. Are, do you feel like you're trying to undo that? I, I think that I'm, I'm realizing that I'm enjoying a lot of other things in life with more time not in trial. You know, trial is, the trial part of it is the fun part. That's the fun part. I mean, if if I were talented enough to simply go and do trial and not have to prep insanely for them, uh, that'd be kind of fun, I think. I'm not that talented. I got to spend a lot of time preparing, and I'm obsessive about it. Because I don't want anybody to know something in trial that I don't. So I have to be the most prepared. The prep time for a trial is intense. Um, And so that prep time burns you out. That's what burns me out. Well, last time we spoke, you were like, you weren't sleeping. Right. Because you were prepping for trial. I think it was in March. And I had just finished a six-week trial. And I was going to do a two-week trial in Reno followed by a six-week trial in Modesto. And so when you have that back-to-back-to-back trials, you're constantly preparing. So even if you have a down day in one trial, you may be prepping for the other trial because you got to have them all ready to roll. And there's so many moving pieces in a normal trial, just one trial. When you've got three going on, that's pretty intense. And 
I don't, by the way, if anybody's watching or listening to this, I do not recommend ever doing it. It's a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. Do not do back-to-back trials. It's not healthy and you're not going to be your best. What about the attorneys that you have? Do they go to trial? Yeah. Okay. So you are building that component so that you don't have to try every single... That is the biggest thing I'm doing right now. That's amazing. Is that uh, we have a whole crew of great trial lawyers at my firm and they're going to trial and they're getting results. Um, Jordan Logan just got a $14 million verdict. Shannon Wise just got a five million five and a half million dollar verdict i like jordan oh yeah jordan's great jordan's another guy that he works so damn hard uh he needs to slow it down we both do um but i think it's one of those things that you have to learn like you have to live it to be like oh shit i am burned out now like i don't know that if it's something like the problem is is that when you're i've grown up ever since i've been a kid work ethic was bred I grew up in Idaho. I mean, it was just what it was. You would, you get the job done and you don't even think about it. It's just, you do it. The problem is, is that when you're a workaholic, which a lot of lawyers are, you don't even realize that everything around you could be crumbling because you're so engaged in working. And that's, you see relationships fall apart all the time in our world, right? Yes. And that happens because, not because you're a bad person. It happens because you're focused so much on work. And part of, part of obviously, spouses to trial lawyers have to be the most understanding people in the world and have their own thing going on. Oh, right. Because mm-hmm. if a spouse of a trial lawyer doesn't have some their own thing, that relationship will not work because of how much time the lawyer will spend away from their spouse. But um, yeah, I think the, I, I think the, the, the goal for my firm and myself and uh, is that I'm mentoring all the attorneys and, and we're creating, well, we have a trial school. So we're creating the, the format of the trial school at the firm. And so we're putting the lawyers at the firm through the trial school, and then the trial school will be launched in, in earnest uh, next year. So that's really cool. Yeah. So, the, and I love teaching. Uh, that's probably my number one. You probably even more so than trial. I enjoy teaching. Well, I mean, you have your own classroom. Yeah, I do. Yeah, uh, I really enjoy teaching. I, I love teaching at the law school. Um, I'm working with the the law school now to create a jury selection course, which I hope to teach in the spring. Here in Vegas? Yeah, at Boyd School of Law, yeah, UNLV mm-hmm. Boyd School of Law. Nice. I, I've been an adjunct professor there for over a decade now. I yeah. meant you have your own classroom at your law firm. Yeah. But it sounds like you actually have a classroom. Yeah, I, I, I am. A lot, many, many lawyers in town call me professor. Wow. <laughs> which is funny. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah, I've had probably... About 200 students over the years. And do you ever end up hiring them later? Yeah. Shannon. Shannon Wise was my student. That's crazy. And she's now a partner at the firm. Funny. This is a great story. So so Shannon is – have you ever met Shannon? Maybe, but I don't She recall. is a brilliant, beautiful woman. I mean, if your daughter could be like her – I need to have her own. Yeah. You would be so proud. 
of your daughter because that is Shannon. She is so Shannon's in my class. But now I don't know her, right? She's blonde hair, kind of like a pinup type person. I mean, she's really pretty. And you're sitting there and you're like, she's a student and she comes up to me. She goes, I'd like to work for you. <laughs> I, not, not I'd like to, I want to work for you. I'm like, all right, well, what, that's pretty. Aggressive. I like her already. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you do right now? She goes, I work for Allstate. I'm like, not interested. She goes, I hate them. I'm like, I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, all right, well, send me your CV. She sends it over to me. She's number one in her class. And I felt at that moment, I'm like, man, did I judge this book totally wrong? Did I, did I completely prejudged her? Because uh, I'm not thinking, when I looked at her, I'm not thinking, oh, clearly that's the number one student in the school. Right. Um, and I felt bad about it. But then I was like, this person is a rock star. Like she, because she was so unique. She... I like punk rock music. She likes punk rock, you know? And I'm like, oh, she's cool. Like, she's cool like that. And so, uh, of course, I hired her immediately. And she's brilliant. And she, the trial, I got to tell you the story. So this is, this is a cool story about her verdict. Uh, she did the trial with my other partner, Jen Morales. And Jen and I went to law school together. So Jen's a great med mal trial lawyer. Um, Jen is, a, is my... Any med mal trial I do, Jen is by my side. Um, and so Jen and Shannon have this case, and Shannon's running lead on it. And in our firm, we it, it leads kind of a soft phrase because it's, you maybe have one A and one B, but we say whoever's doing Vortire is lead. So that's kind of the what we'll consider the lead trial lawyer because that to us is the most important part of the case. So um, Shannon, Shannon's running lead doing Vordire and I don't like the case. I didn't like the case at all. I'm like, can you guys just settle this thing, man? Just get rid of it. Cause I didn't like the, I didn't like the story that was told to me about the case. It was a, the case was a case of a little boy who had fallen off the monkey bars and broke his leg, goes to the hospital. And the original story was, the doctor chose to do an invasive surgery versus casting, setting and casting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, who cares? I don't care. Like that doesn't move me on my emotional scale one yeah. one point. I don't. I don't even. I don't get it. So what did that cost? Like, what was the issue? Uh, the kid ended up having a shorter leg. Like, oh, okay. so the that 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 was it, not not greatly shorter, by the way, a little bit shorter. Um. But Shannon, by doing all these focus groups, figured out that wasn't the story at all. The story was this little boy goes in with a compound, like a, a, a full fracture of the leg, and he has a, the doctor who's on call, the orthopedic surgeon at the hospital who's on call being paid, doesn't show up for 25 hours. He's supposed to be within 30 minutes. That became the case. And it turned out the doctor who was on call was also on call at like five other hospitals. And at the time, he wasn't at any of the hospitals. He just was chose not to come in. Wow. That's and really fucked up. Then I'd be livid. And so was the jury. And that is the dynamic of figuring out the story to tell to motivate people to move. 
Yeah, see, that pisses me off. Right. Well, and it pissed everybody off because you left that little boy in right. crippling pain for 25 hours. Oh, yeah. Definitely would be pissed. Yeah. So that, that was – and so – and the best part of that trial was I went on vacation the day they were picked, started picking the jury. And I get back from vacation and they got the verdict. What was it? $5.5 million. Wow. Yeah. And it was such a – I was like – and and even better, the case resolved that day. They got a settlement done at the courthouse before they walked out. That's which, crazy. Which is pretty cool, especially in a med mal case, because usually those go up and you deal with those for three, four years. Now you brought up that Shannon likes music. Yeah. Let's talk about music, because I know you do something that I've never heard. I mean, maybe other lawyers do it. I had never heard of it. You you love music. I love music. Who's your favorite band or singer or whatever? Well, <laughs> such a loaded question. Yeah, for I mean, you. <laughs> depending on the genre, uh, Pearl Jam, Dave Matthews Band, probably my go-to favorite bands. But uh, I like OAR. I like Fish. Uh, there's one song OAR has that I love. Which it one? It says something about turn the car around. Oh, yeah. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it so much. They have a great song called Black Rock. Uh, I'm going to Google this or yeah, Spotify the, this. You, you, Black Rock is a wonderful Black. song from OAR. And, it, and it, it, we all have our Black Rock. We all have it. It's the place you go to, to reflect and think. It's funny because for me, songs in English, I have a really hard time listening to the lyrics and like connecting with the lyrics. I think it's because English is my second language, whereas it, I don't know why my brain works this way because I think in English, I dream in English. But if it's a song in Spanish, I feel like I can like really hear the like listen to the lyrics, like understand the lyrics, take something away from it. Whereas in English, I just like like the melody or like the song as a whole. And my husband's always like, we discovered a band this weekend called Medium Build. And he's like obsessing over it and like listening to it. Like he's like a teen, like over and over again because he loves the lyrics. Oh, yeah. You should check them out. They're actually- Medium really Build, yeah. You've I, heard of them? No, I have not. No, but I, I'll tell you, I, I, I'm a big fan of Manchester Orchestra, if you've heard of them. No. And my wife and I went and saw them in Seattle at the Grant Theater, which is this- epic historical place that bands go and play and uh, there was a band called foxing opening up for them there's also the michiganer and two, two bands i'd never heard of either and uh foxing was just out of this world great and so i always love going to live shows and listening to bands like i'm a huge fan of lord huron have you have you heard the their great band uh and I saw them because I went to the uh, uh, I went to Dahani Beach, where Eddie Vedder puts on the Ohana Festival, and it was a two day music festival. And I went and just listened to all the bands, and Lord Huron was one of them. It was just awesome. Yeah, that that's what happened to us. They opened for we took the kids to see Louis Capaldi, who they just like love. I'm not familiar with that. He had like one hit song that was actually, he's really, really, really big in, in UK, but he had one hit song here in the States 
during COVID. And the boys started listening to it on like Apple. And then they started listening to his whole album. And they just became obsessed with him. And this is when we were like locked in California. Yeah. You couldn't go anywhere. So I was like, when he comes to the States, I'm going to take them. I almost took him to London to see him. But we had literally just gone home from Europe. And it was like a week later. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. So long story short, this was like their Christmas gift. Because we try to take him to concerts and like do like activities instead of buying them all sorts of crap all the time. And Medium Build opened up. And my husband was like, this is way better than Louis Capaldi. Although Louis Capaldi is great and we are fans, but he's just became obsessed. But I do think that there's something about seeing a band live because I I feel like they're, they were better live than when I listened to their album. Because like you can see the emotion. Yeah. Yeah. When the band's really into it, it's special. Yeah. And yeah. that's how it was. Like he was really good. But how do you tie in this passion you have for music with law? Yeah, so I, I started doing this a long time ago, but I just, I connect with the music. I, I can't sing. I can't play instruments. But I could write lyrics to a song. Interesting. Um, do you do you ever? No, I don't. But I mean, I, I write out stuff. I mean, I, I write stuff out, but I've never had it played. I should have my son. My son's a t very talented musician. Have really? How come you don't? I, I don't know. Because he'd think it would probably be lame. Because <laughs> well, because he doesn't re he, he doesn't relate to a, a <laughs> late forty year old male yeah uh, life feeling. Right? I'm sure he thinks you're not cool. Like <laughs> I think he thinks I'm cool. He's, really? My son. I, 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 uh, let me answer your question. Then I'm going to brag about my son okay, for cool. just a minute. But. Uh, so the, I think where this all started, I remember when I was a kid, my older brother, Seton, had a project. I mean, gosh, this had to be like in eighth grade. So I was probably in fifth, sixth grade, something like this. But he put together a video. Now, back then, dubbing music into a video was like not easy. I mean, there was, this was a whole process. But he made this video and he, he, tied in uh, a Peter Gabriel song into uh, this video, um, In Your Eyes was the song. And it's a beautiful song. And I connected with the video that he was showing at a hugely deep level because of the music. And it was the music that was inspiring. And it let me... The way I was visually seeing things, I connected emotionally much tighter with the message that he was wanting to convey. And that, that's why you see all these movies have soundtracks. Right. The, the music is there to help convey an emotion. That's why they have the music. Oh, and it does a, an amazing job. Like Yeah. And so knowing that, knowing how much music moves me, I've I've always wanted to honor my clients by finding the right song that tells their story. It's kind of, you know, I, I spend, I, I, this is a painstaking process because it's not the same song. It'd be kind of easy to have a couple go-to songs and plug and play, but I want to get to know my clients and connect with them on a deeper level. And I, uh, you know, um, I, I remember I had this Filipino couple who, the wife was very injured as a result of a medical malpractice and, and suffered a ma major brain injury. 
And during the trial, the husband explained and testified that his uh, his feeling of his wife was he missed the small things, like sitting down like we are having coffee and taking drives and then seeing things and laughing about them because she doesn't remember any of that. And so he wasn't able to do that. And then there, so there's this song from the musical Rent called Seasons of Love. And it's, it, the, 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 the song poses the question, how do you measure a year in the life? Do you measure it in sunsets and cups of coffee? And then it, it ends with the answer being love. You, you, you measure a year in the life in love. How did you find it though? I had been to the, I went and saw Rent and I thought it was a beautiful song. And so you so remembered. I remembered. And then another uh, case that I did, uh, our, we had a little girl that was run over by a garbage truck and killed. Oh my God. And now I'm going to cry. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, the family, the night before she died, there was a party for the aunt's birthday. And so they're, they're the, and then the, Sister had testified that they were, she was singing this song, uh, I Need You Right Now by the Chainsmokers. Uh, I, I, that's probably not the name of the song. It's a different name, but the, that's the lyric that right. stood out to me. So I listened to that song, and the sister testified to it. And this is, I'm actually having dinner tonight with this family. Really? Yeah, we're all going over and having dinner together. So I'm really close to my clients, which is makes us special. But the lyric, the, the haunting lyric from that was, I need you right now. I need you right now. And that's the mom. I'm trying so hard not to cry right now. Yeah, the mom, you can't lose your kid, right? And so, and so when a mother and a child and, and the lyrics, and it was just this, I don't know. That's not my, the chain smokers aren't, I, I know who they are. I listen to some of that music, but not connecting. But that song connected with me because of the, the case. The case. And so um, I really try to honor my clients by, by, by finding their song. And do you run it by them? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, sometimes it's a, uh, you know, I want to talk to them. I mean, sometimes they have a, a song or if it's somebody has passed away, they had their song. And that song usually has some really important meaning. And I'll try to understand what the, their, their meaning is so that I can then tell the story. And then when you, you know, these, these artists that create these songs, oftentimes they, they, they paint over them. Sometimes they come out very quickly, but other times these lyrics take a long time to write, and it's a beautiful thing to use that in trial. I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing, and if I'm a juror, I feel like you're like a lawyer that actually gives a shit versus the idea that sometimes some jurors might have about a lawyer, right? And it's like, oh, this, he cares. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's 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 the one thing I can do to honor my client that is special i think and meaningful to you and to them you know i like i'll depending on the situation right if i know i'm going to use it and it's going to be really emotional i'm not going to do that 
to the client. I'm not going to try to bring back that pain. So I'll hold it back. Um, but I always tell them, I go, I want you to know that in my closing, I'm going to honor you or honor your loved one. And you play the song. I don't play the song. I read the lyrics of the song. Oh, wow. I read the Have lyrics. Have you ever played it? Played a song or no? No, because oftentimes, like, the lyrics may be almost perfect, but I can change a word or two and make it perfect. Um, and I also, there's something about telling the story, because if the people know the song, they'll then hear it in their own voice. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of power in the jury hearing and telling themselves the story in their own voice. Well, if I just heard the song, me personally, I would not be able to process it the way that I would process it if you read it. Yeah. And again, I don't know if it's because English is my second. Like, it takes a lot of, like, I literally have to, like, if my husband's, like, obsessed with a song and he's, like, the lyrics are beautiful, I literally have to, like, pull it up on my phone, pause it, start over, play it again, and, like, really try to comprehend. Yeah. Well, that that's what happens with some t- the music, right? Because you can slow it down. You can add emphasis. You can do things that you you as the presenter want to draw to. And so I think, yeah, that's, I, I've always thought about, should I play it? And then I just, every time I do my focus groups, it's better to read it than to play the song. And so we don't play the song and, but they understand, mm-hmm. you know, because you're on the verge. It's emotional when you're telling the story. Well, and it's what Joe Free talks about, this whole idea of like getting people to an emotional state and you're doing this via this these lyrics yeah yeah Yeah. i think it's beautiful when you told me i was like that is the coolest thing i've ever heard yeah no i it's it's something i enjoy doing for sure so but i but uh, oh to switch gears and brag about my son son? so my son is uh in the he goes to faith lutheran which is a local school here in town yes and he is in the film and broadcast academy. He happens to be in film, and it's a it's a very difficult program to go through because of all the extra work that's required to graduate from the academy. So I don't know how many kids started the academy. Only two graduated from the academy. Wow. Um, and you know, one of the things you have to do is a fifty hour internship in a film based company. So it's a lot of work. I mean, you're putting in a lot of time. But how how do you do that from Vegas? Are there? Uh, well, Reed's fortunate that uh, his godfather is in the industry, and so uh, Jargon Entertainment and Action Figure Entertainment are his companies, and so he went and interned with Action Figure Entertainment in L.A. Uh, yeah, in. Burbank area, Valencia, yeah. in the valley. That's yeah, that is the valley. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So he did that. He loved it. My son has done tons of extra film. He's done so much at the school. So we're at this award ceremony on the ninth, two two days ago, and the the teacher of the film academy is there saying, "Hey, look, last year Reed Claggett got." best cinematographer and this year he's done this 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 and this and oh by the way he was homecoming king so we're not giving him another award tonight we're not going to do that 
But what we are going to do is pass the baton, so to speak. And they literally named the outstanding film student of the year at Faith Lutheran, the Reed Claggett Outstanding Film Student. Wow. They named the award after him. That's amazing. And so we are just beyond proud. And he's uh, he's headed to Chapman Dodge School of Film, which is rated among the best in the world film schools. So he'll do great things. And my daughter, who uh, I love spending time with and off-roading, she's a soccer player, but she wants to be a lawyer. So she's gonna follow, oh. she's gonna follow in my footsteps. That's amazing. So yeah, I'm very excited to see. Oh, I bet she's a very strong woman, and I absolutely plan to have Shannon Wise and Jen Morales and Mia Millette at the firm mentor my daughter to be a strong, powerful trial lawyer. Now, while we're on the parenting subject, and I'm like genuinely curious about this, how, so it sounds like your kids are driven. How, how do you think you contributed to that? Because I, um, I sometimes worry that privileged kids won't be driven. And I struggle with this with my own kids and I have that fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My wife and I have, my wife and I both grew up very similar, right? We didn't have what we have. We certainly didn't have this. this <laughs> so same. Like I grew up poor and my yeah. husband grew up poor. So we don't know how, no one taught us how to raise privileged children. So my wife and I have, I was very fortunate growing up, even though we didn't have a lot of extra money. My family always gave back, always. Um, we were constantly... Uh, whether it be through Boy Scouts or when I would do, uh, when I went to college, I was in a fraternity. We did a lot of philanthropy. I always have been exposed to giving back, always. And we take our kids and my daughter, more brag on my kids, my daughter was recognized by help of Southern Nevada as the young philanthropist of the year uh, for all of her volunteer work. My daughter would go out and raise money from doing bake sales uh, over and over and over again, baking cookies and cakes and selling them to people and raising all this money where she could have kept for herself as a kid. She would give all the money to help. But how did you instill that in them? We took them with us because my wife and I volunteer a lot. And we go to the mission, we go to help, we go to just one project, we go to three square and we always take the kids and we're like, you need to see how everybody else lives to appreciate what you have. This is why I took my kids to Mexico for a while. Yeah. Because I really did want them to see like not everything, like you're lucky, like. We, we are, our kids are beyond fortunate. You know, and so my kids are, they're, they're great. And I'm really proud of both my kids. They've both received the presidential award for volunteering, which is the highest level of award you can get as a high school student for volunteer work. I think they put in over 400 hours a year into volunteering. God, I need to start doing this with my kids. Were you guys strict or are you, I guess? You're still we're parents. Not, we're, we're not strict. We just lead by example. And it's just what we do. Like tomorrow morning, 
we're going to the we the law firm underwrites uh, a farmer's market for the Just One Project. What is the Just One Project? The Just One Project is an organization that is primarily food, but also has wraparound social services for families. So they're um, help people that have needs. Um, is there it, anything coming up in the next week that I could take my kids to? If you want to come tomorrow morning to the farmer's market, it will be one of the greatest mornings you've ever had. It They have school though, no? Yeah, What's we take our, kid, our kids sometimes miss school for this stuff. There are things more important than school. Like we're tomorrow night, my wife and I are going to an event for uh, another charity. I'm going to think of it in a second. The Candle Lighters. Okay. Which is a children's cancer organization. They help families that have kids with cancer. And so we just make it a big part of our, our lives that that giving back matters. And we have the money, and that's always good to give money. Organizations need money. But more importantly is our time. No, I want the kids to see this. Yeah. Because to them, money is like they don't really conceptualize it the way that like you and I do. I want them to see it. Yeah. I want them to feel like they did something kind. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, and, and so this farmer's market's amazing. So the Just One Project – uh, sets up this farmer's market and it's all free. The people get in line and there's fresh vegetables, fresh fruit, fresh poultry, fresh dairy. They get fresh foods in there. There's times when people have never seen the type of vegetable they're getting. They've never, because they don't have the money to go to fresh, you don't buy fresh yeah, food. Yeah, that must when you be so hard. I, I can't, I'm like struggling. <laughs> no, but it's great. And you, and you get to, you, you get to do this. And my wife, once a week delivers food for the Just One Project. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you so much to Sean Claggett for everything he shared with us today. If you found the story valuable, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Share it with someone you want to see succeed. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review. It goes a long way in helping others find the show. Thank you. Thank you.